0: The Gulf Coast Growth Show is sponsored by Chevron Pasadena Refinery and is an extension of the Economic Alliance Houston Port Region, where our mission is to market and grow a vibrant regional economy. Hey guys, welcome back to the Gulf Coast Grow Show. I'm your host, Jason Lee, joined with my co-host, Zeke Smith. So Jason, good to see you today. You too, and man. we are joined by Mr. George Abood from Exponent Advisors, Smart Group Houston. Uh, excited about this because I've, I've always looked for the opportune time to have our organization out here. So my boss, glad to have you today, George.
1: <laughs> Morning, good to be here. Thank you, Jason. Um,
0: and so for our audience today, we're going to talk a lot. We, so our audience, for those that are listening, is, is comprised of all the way down to the refineries and the plants, those people that serve those refineries and plants, everything that serves logistics and supply chain in and out of these areas. So we really touch things that are going across the globe, all the way down to the you know safety place down, down the street where they're training guys to go into these refineries right over here in beautiful Center Street Tech, uh, uh, Deer Park. So, um, And this episode is really catered to that privately held business owner that's listening and wondering, hey, maybe it's time to get out of my business or maybe I should be looking at or I'm thinking about exiting, what's going on and what's the value of my company, right? What where, where, where would that look like? And uh, the markets have shifted dramatically over the last couple of years, uh, really in the last year. And so we've seen that a lot in our business and I wanted to invite George, I want to invite you on to talk a little bit about what we're seeing. So before we dive in, George, can you uh, give us a little bit about your background? Tell us a little bit about what kind of qualifies you for this type of stuff?
1: Sure, thank you, Jason, I appreciate that. Um, I'm an entrepreneur, much like you uh, that are listening, uh, been on the financial side. I thought that was a good way to enter into it. So study, got a CPA, started as controller, CFO, moved up in the ranks in finance, but eventually moved into operations. And um, I have a past of such. And at the ter- at the time I thought it was a curse because it's uh, you're in the foxhole, uh, but it- it's turned out to be a blessing. And I was with a consolidator. And as a whirlwind, we bought 75 privately held businesses. And as vice president of operations, I was involved in each of those companies before during and possibly after the acquisition went through okay so we saw a lot of those transactions i was on the other side of the table uh, of of the choir so i saw a lot of the headaches and challenges that these business owners went through and um, that's it was a pretty interesting experience
0: yeah and then um, about how long ago did you transition from corporate america into this space uh and 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 then Kind of what led you into
1: it yeah so it's it's been about a two decade journey of wow. transferring out and um i loved what i did fixing companies running them making them profitable um i think that's what led me to this journey uh, my entrepreneurial spirit but also uh, the market opportunity i saw um, you know these business owners were selling their business obviously to us right and so i i saw time and time and again that they even though they had really great counsel they had attorneys they had law firms and CPA firms some of them had business coaches um, but they get to the table and we, we identified all these red flags right and what I mean by red flags is maybe really concerns for the acquisition well at, at the least it's a negotiating point to negotiate down the value if right. there's if there's concerns and risk you don't pay as much <laughs> and so I was always curious of why didn't they turn those red flags into green Jason before they actually got to the table I was baffled by that time and time again so I, I noticed that there's an opportunity is who's helping these business owners maybe identify that their company is really an asset not just a cash flow stream right and if they can understand what the value could be within their time frame and maybe what they can do about it uh, to help incentivize uh, maybe an exit that's a little smoother maybe uh, maximize their value and so when I saw this I was like well apparently, these guys are being left in the cold and they're my heroes, right? I'm an entrepreneur myself. And so the initial spirit of our company was born in corporate America, taking advantage of the red flags from the sellers. Right. And so that was an inspiration for me to maybe move past that and get on the other side of the table and help create value.
0: Love it. Um, and so to specifically to, to today's environment, we're in a, a kind of in a unique environment because I think really over the last few years, um, for those that are maybe have been close to the finish line there's just been all this volatility right from COVID to just the multitude of things and yeah. now we're dealing with the net, you know an economic environment crazy high interest rates i think business owners are just tired right and so for those that are at the end of their rope they're like hey I'm, I'm done let me get me out of here so um a couple of years ago uh there was free money lying around it felt like you could get you know everybody was getting crazy multipliers for the business but we've been seeing a shift at least in our industry of what our what our owners are seeing and um so i'd love to have you kind of shed some light on kind of how the current economic environment is actually impacting valuations
1: yeah sure so without getting too technical it's really an interesting story because in the last decade as jason as you alluded to uh capital was pretty free it was cheap um you know, looking back, I took advantage of that in some cases, but I wish I would have done a little bit more. Left right? um, <laughs> some
2: on the table, eh? All right, yeah,
1: <laughs> that's right. Um, but you know, essentially, this. Think about this. There's really two reasons that today's interest rate hikes, which, by the way, may not be over, um, has affected business valuation. And these are things that are generally outside of the control of the business owner, right? These are the economic environment, and it's a new it's a new situation uh, compared to the last decade, and that is that. You know, the cost of capital is more expensive. If you go out and try to get a loan today, whether it's a mortgage or a business loan, you're going to be shocked compared to 18 months ago. Mm-hmm. Right, right. So the business acquires in some capacity, you're going to have to use some kind of capital to acquire the businesses. Well, it's a lot more expensive for them. So they either have to be more selective or they're maybe temporarily out of the market because they may have to borrow funds or their expectations is higher. And so what we've, what we've come to is maybe three zones, if you will. Uh, for private health businesses based on the size of their value right and uh, you and I were having a conversation earlier about this Um, businesses that are going to transition for five million and under they can take advantage of the SBA loans and that money is still there Uh, that program is working nicely Um, maybe the cost is a little higher to borrow but the money is available so those deals are getting done five million and below those deals are getting done and then there's the companies that are valued that are transacting transacting over 15 million, and that's starting to attract the professional buyers,
0: right?
1: the investment bankers, and maybe some hedge funds. You've got to be over because of the scalability. They have the same cost whether they're doing a five million dollar company transaction or maybe a fifty million dollar transaction. Right. So <clears> this <throat> exp- it's very expensive to do smaller deals. Anyway, there's a lot of capital on the sidelines based on from the history where we came from. There was a lot of cheap money. That money was, is ready to be invested. It's still on the sidelines, and it needs to be put to use. So it's chasing deals, although they're becoming a little bit more um, detail-oriented, right. and maybe their expectations of return needs to be a little higher because their investors' expectations of returns are higher. You know, One reason is you can sit on the couch maybe and get treasury yields at 5% currently. Right. So their investors are going to want to make a lot more than 5%, if they're going to take some risk right. sure. so that so the, there's money available for 15 million and over um, but where that leaves us is the no-man's land businesses are valued between 5 and 15 million that capital is hard to get right and that's become a rough patch currently to get those deals done
2: what's the reason specifically the
1: The reasons for that is because they're outside of the zone of the SBA so they don't qualify for that free money we're not free money but available yeah money. sure and they don't, they're not interested in enough from the big acquirers because they're too small for it to pay off. And so they get left out. And so those generally have to be relied on uh, maybe some bank notes and some creative financing. And those rates are a lot higher. And so what we're finding is those deals aren't getting done as much. And also the seller may have to take uh, more concessions to get the deal done. They may have to take a larger note back some other things to make that deal happen
0: not to mention the banks in that space right regional banks the folks that would typically be handing out a 10 million dollar loan they've tightened up right so the money's not flowing nearly as free
2: and that's a word that i was gonna i wanted to do a follow-up to you george you said about the the sba loans being out there they're there Mm -hmm. maybe harder to get so are you seeing that those businesses just have to have a little bit of a tighter ship to go qualify i mean just just to you know things that they did that were maybe loosey-goosey it's like i can't you know I can't yeah. have paper files anymore i need right. to have everything digital sure. or whatever right if-
1: you know we, we partner with individuals that are actually doing all the due diligence and underwriting although that was been my career in the past our, our we have some value to the business owner to get them to the table right. to help them through it and then afterwards but in visiting with these guys the the due diligence process and the underwriting process is a lot more detailed and so you have to be a lot more buttoned up you're correct and so we had you know,
0: a, a dinner the other night and one of our referral partners he's also a personal client and just just a phenomenal uh, relationship of ours. But uh, he, we, we send clients both ways, right? People who need to get prepared, come our way, and then sure. you know, they're ready to sell. We send them to him. He's working on a transaction right now. They said that the due diligence request list was 763 items uh, that this oh. buyer was asking for. <laughs> just. With supporting documentation.
2: All right.
0: Yeah, so just because they're that granular around, hey, if I'm buying it, it better better make sure it's buttoned up. Sounds like a piece of like
2: federal legislation or something. There you (laughs) go. So, yeah.
0: So, so let's talk about this. If I'm uh, in this environment and I'm, Mm -hmm. and I'm, I'm I'm tired, I'm worn out. What are the options? What, what things can I consider as a business owner? Uh, (laughs) Right. If I am and I'm like, I don't know if I could do another three years of this stuff. What what, what should they be considering?
1: Uh, I think that's, that's a really good question. Um, Well, it depends if they're right for selling to a third party. Okay. Or if they're going to transition to family members, or maybe their management team. Okay. Those th- those situations could look a little different. Um, if it's a, a, to a third party, you have to remember there are some things that you're going to be subjected to that are beyond your control. Some of the things we just mentioned, right? Right. Those are those are b- largely based on the current market objectives. By the way, it may not always be this way. You know, there's a lot of talks about the Fed whether we're on pause, if they're mm-hmm. going to do another rate. Um, if there's going to be trouble with the economy, then maybe rates be coming down. So. Stay tuned for that, basically, right. right? But in the meantime, there's things that business owners can do, and that is something called company-specific risk. Remember the red flags I was talking about earlier yeah. in my, in my, in my uh, history? Uh, business owners can focus on uh, turning those red flags to green. Right. And I'll give you a quick analogy. Uh, I, I, I live out in Katy now. I'm from Katy, but I moved back out there about five years ago. And I had an older home, nicer home, but an older home in Cyprus and uh, i was ready to make sure that i capitalized on the max of uh, sales price when I, when I sold in cyprus well because of my experience with red flags and business owners i said well i wonder what red flags my home's gonna have so i went and got a, hired an inspector myself and did my own inspection on my home i found the red flags and then what, what do you think i did right i turned them to green so i hired repairmen electrician plumbers i got it all fixed up and there's no more red flags then I went to market to sell the business. And sure enough, inspections were done. It yep. passed cleanly. I could show them my inspection report after it was right. done, and it helped me have some smooth sailing. So the reason I'm bringing this up is business owners can start working on the same thing for their business right now. Those are the things that are in their control. And we've identified 21 areas of risk business owners are going to have to go through that affect the value of their business understood and so if they're not aware of what those are they certainly can't be working working on fixing them right Right. and so one of the things they can do is start fixing their company specific risk for the reasons we mentioned in my past and for the home analogy so that's what they can be focusing on is be aware what those are and make sure that they're turning those red flags into green while the things outside of their control may shift
0: yeah the way i look at that is uh, using that same analogy and that uh, is you know, you might have a business coach, you might have these different people who are, you know, CPAs, all these different folks that you've hired on to help you grow your business, be better at your business. Most, most successful business owners have recruited third parties to help make sure that they're maximizing their business, bottom line. And I like to think of those as subcontractors. They're doing sub- subcontractual work for that business owner to grow the value. Right. What you just described is is essentially that that uh, is that is, is that inspection report. Yes. It's that inspection report that then says, now let me get with my subcontractors. That's right. And let's go grow these things. And so one of the things that I've seen in the past is a lot of times business owners can be working on a lot of really important things. And I guess the difference is between it, it can it can help you be can be successful but it might not net translate to significance when it comes time to sell that company. And so yeah. the difference being is, Hey, this is really helping me grow my business, but is it actually impacting the value? That's right. Um, and so maybe that might help you move around your big rocks. Right.
1: Yeah. I think, I think it's crucial. We just had two, two businesses. Uh, there we there are such things as serial entrepreneurs. If you're listening, you know who you are. <laughs> uh, but a lot of times it's a life work, right? So we just had two clients. One of them has been in over, let's see, almost 50 years in business. And they did cross the finish line just recently, very successfully, but yeah. they only did it once. And then we have a client that's been doing it for 40 years his business and he's crossing the finish line currently. The The reason I bring this up is, you only have one shot at this for those people. You, right. you spent 40 years on this business and you, there's only one transaction date when you when you sell. That's right. right. And so you, it seems to me that you wanna be prepared for that and you wanna maximize that scenario. And, it, and my point is you're not selling 15, 16, 25 companies, you're selling one. Right. And so if you go at it alone, you're going to learn all the mistakes there are to learn in that one transaction, which, again, may f- affect your value. So why would you do that? Uh, if you're a serial entrepreneur, you start to gain some momentum and some education and some thought processes. But if you're going at it one time, you have to make sure that you have the right counsel at the table to maximize the scenario and be educated about it before you even get to the table.
0: Right. And and then, so- uh, another question that when I mean, you're talking about education, right, and, and knowing what to do. Um, one of the things that we, we you mentioned earlier was this impact that um, deals not might have to be more creative, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, by creative, a lot of times that means earnouts and certain things that you have to be prepared to perhaps stay on longer. There's, That's know, right. Maybe you're getting less money up front, or you know. So there's especially in that kind of yeah, there's concessions and these things that you got to be prepared to make. And I think a lot of times it could be a risk walking into that situation because a lot what I've observed in the past. Even with client uh, people that aren't even our clients, but when they've come to us and said, "Hey, this is the experience that I've had," or you know, the, the first time that I was approached with this, perhaps we see the 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 second half of that apple or that second bite of that apple isn't always rosy. There's, there's a lot of risk that you have you inherently have to take on. Correct. Tell, the- tell us about. So kind of some of these earn-out processes, some of the options So, I think
1: that, that the first use. thing is it, it could be really infinite, and some of it, it could be that they're going to take a note back where immediately they sell all the equity of the business. They no longer have a vote, no say, but maybe they have to take a note back for some of it, right? right? And so there's some risk and discussions about that. They're going to be a creditor now without control. Uh, they're going to be earning interest and higher interest rate, which is great, but that's only good if the Predator can pay the note, right? So you have to understand the cash flows, and when you when you're doing modeling and future growth, because if the company is really going to grow afterwards, that takes a lot of capital. Mm-hmm. There's also if they're profitable, that's going to go to income taxes, as to, you know, uh, which also diminishes the cash flow. And then they have to have enough cash to pay the the right. uh, the, the seller. And so, will that all fit in that model is important to know. Uh, I find that they just cross their fingers a lot of times, but there are processes that you can run with these projections to try to determine if there's enough cash flow and how at risk you would be in taking that note back for one. right. Second one is that they may have to roll equity into the new company. Hmm. Um, well, they're rolling equity in the new company, but are they gonna have a seat at the board? Are they gonna have any influence? Um, what does that look like? It, and projections, it's always rosy. I met with a, a, one of our clients that uh, they're expecting the amount that was rolled into equity in the new company in four years, it'll be worth four times multiple. Well, right. is that gonna happen? I don't know right sure. and so but the point i'm saying is, and that all of these different scenarios how will it affect the business owner that's selling personally how will it affect him does he need that equity role over to be successful in order to do the things he wants to do in retirement or the next entrepreneurial uh, journey or his legacy um, that is also knowledge that in back in my history that i discovered that these business owners didn't really do any great financial planning they didn't really understand the tax events, they didn't understand the cash flow, and then all their the expenses they used to run through the business, mm-hmm. uh, that's all gonna be on their dime, uh-huh. and how all that affects their personal finances as it relates to cash flow, net worth, legacy, and significance. Right. So there's things you can do to plan for that, Jason. You know that we offer those mm-hmm. services, but we're not the only ones for them to be have a great education of that process before they get there. Right. And so another thing is, I would just say, emotionally, business owners have strong will. Right, majority of them are a uh, unique breed. Uh, I'm one of those. Uh, but can they emotionally be still part of a company when they're no longer running it, right. making the major decisions? And that is often underestimated.
2: So we've also we've talked a lot about transactional uh, information. I, if I could, right. I, I'm interested in your in some trends analysis because sure. what I'm hearing. Well, first of all, I'm not a business owner. But I think I was going to ask you, what do I do? I, I'm tired. And am I going to make it in three years? Maybe you give us yeah. advice on that. And I'm not a business owner. I'm just, <laughs> I just really wore out. I'm just right. like, um, so, no, but um, what I'm hearing is planning is important. Mm-hmm. This is a long process. Mm-hmm. So as a business owner, you need to be very reflective, yes. like, meditative even, and say, what's my risk tolerance right now based on the climate, right? So you've got to say, I'm tired, but maybe I need to give this thing a couple of years to really get my house in order, to use your terms, to talk to some folks, to come to Exponent or or just start those conversations. Because this isn't something that's going to happen fast if it's done correctly. I'm sure it can. Right. Right. Fire, sale, whatever. But do it the right way, George, what I'm hearing is plan it, plan on it, taking some time, try not to do it alone. Correct. uh, Use some advisors, but it's going to be a process if you want to do it correctly. So with that, all that backstory, give me your analysis of our pending political climate and how if you're in for the long haul mm-hmm. and you're planning it one way and we have a complete shift in that environment. what How, how do you I don't know combat or plan or prepare for something like that when you're sure. thinking now, hey, this is a one to two year process and in a year from now, we're going to have a could have a complete political shift. Here. Yeah. So
1: let's talk about that. And so that that's a very interesting topic. And, and there's a lot of studies on this, a lot of history. Um, it, broadly this is what I would say um, this isn't the first political uh, election we're going to have right? not the last it, it's not the last um, <laughs> but it does create a lot of uncertainty and uncertainty creates stalemates and stalemates creates un, uh, maybe market conditions that aren't right for seller to exit during that time historically there has been a lot of concern a lot of unknowns and a lot of risk it really puts this market on pause and that's coming it'll probably be the same again because right. you just really don't know Economically, uh, there could be broad range impacts. In the market, we see that there will be brief, temporary impacts from these elections. But overall, it's a non-event, if that makes sense. Yep. I think that obviously that there's exceptions to that. Um, if there's po- major change in certain industries and you're operating in that industry and there's compliance changes or regulation changes or tax changes or credit changes, uh, that may affect your industry greater right sure Uh, those are hard to plan for but you need to plan for a range of possibilities is what i say a (laughs) range of possibilities you understand if it goes the wrong way or if it's uh more advantageous so plan, plan for texas weather, that's yeah. right. <laughs> for texas weather. That's right. amen that's right yeah. none of us control the control <laughs> or can project the future but you can be re- you can be ready through knowledge for a range of possibilities is what i would say and so that's their greatest i think aspect. that's an
2: awesome point just to highlight and just pause on is like to tell a business owner hey be great at something you're a great owner you're a great business but be prepared for all scenarios could be your greatest strength right just to be prepared to absorb anything that comes at you and react appropriately swiftly efficiently i think that's a i think that is a such a great point for business owners to I think we train so hard to, to do outbound work and be great at this right and then something comes like a pandemic or something crazy happens then you know out of left field and you're like whoa and our business shuts down so you know, that preparedness you know is, i'll tell you a this great it's,
1: it's great I'm, a, I'm part of a business forum if you will and these guys are a little crazy because when we have tough times we roll up our sleeves and they say okay how can we take advantage of this current marketplace Right. Instead of like putting your head in the sand or woes me, this guy's falling, which you have to be prepared for bolster for that. But we're having other conversations. Like now that we're in the situation or the situation that may be coming, how can we take advantage? Sure. Of Cause someone
2: is, That's if right. not you, right someone is. Thinking. Right. Yeah.
0: So, uh, last question. And then I, I want to give you a minute just to wrap up mm-hmm. with any final words. But, um, so we've talked a lot about the, the markets, what it would look like to a third party. What if, um, I'm still thinking about getting out, but maybe the third party isn't the best option. What, what do I need to be considering if, if I am looking to perhaps transition to my team?
1: Good question. So we talked about that no man's land value right. of a business between five and 15 million. If they're a service company, it may be even tougher to sell. Number one, there's no capital available. There's not a lot of certainty. You don't have long-term contracts. You can't just count on money coming in. Cash flow has to be earned generally bid by bid or reputation. Bones ring. Salespeople are going out there. Mm-hmm. And so those are harder to transact. If you're interested in transition to a management team, uh, there are a lot of things to consider. Um, time may be one of those. Um, generally, your key personnel that are helping you drive your company on that range, five to 15 million, they're not billionaires. Right. They're hardworking individuals that are trying to make their way uh, and they haven't cut their teeth as it relates to their net worth, perhaps. Right. So they may not have the finances to buy the business owner out at that time in that range. Mm-hmm. So there may be some time needed. Uh, one of the things that we found that could be highly motivational and highly successful is, is it possible to have some tax strategies that saves cash that would have gone to the IRS, and then maybe you direct it and funnel it to a plan that motivates and retains these executives longer term?
0: Understood.
1: and what's interesting Jason is is you know this is that that pool of profit if they're actually generating profits for the business and they're helping produce uh, uh, success um, that pool of capital in a tax-advantaged way can maybe be used to buy out the business owner right and so there's I always like to say win-win-lose and iris if you're listening uh, my apologies, but the, the, the win is they to not They're not up
2: yeah. or at yeah, work yet. It's way too early in the morning, George, I, for them. I,
1: well, I, I like to say we want the business owner to win, right? It's his business. He, he's realizing that there's an asset value. He wants to transition this. He wants to go to this next phase. But we want there to be a win for the next generation. As they take the reins of this business, we don't want them to be strapped so much that they have too much weight and they can't make the transition right. successful. So there's the win-win. I don't really quite mind if if it's a win win lose when the IRS doesn't get to participate quite as much, and so what if what if we could help take some of those tax dollars, inspire this transaction and help spur the economy? There you go, love it.
0: Yeah, I think it's putting them in the position where they actually can see something tangible. That you know, a lot of times people talk about phantom stock, phantom this, but that that to me says, well, if I do all this stuff and nothing in the world changes, but if I leave or whatever, I have nothing. But it's putting something it's in place strategy. where they literally are. Saying okay, I, if I do this, I've got this much money, and then later on down the road, I can pledge that money. Yeah, get some get some financial support maybe from the SBA That's along right. with this, and then come to you and buy you out
2: over time. I mean, as you both know, I've I've heard this your your company pitch on this angle. I think it is absolutely brilliant, right. and and I wish I mean whether it's you or somebody else, like more companies should take advantage of that. I mean, I'm the HR guy in the room, right? So I'm all right. about retention right. and employee yeah. empowerment and and long term leadership growth. Yeah. So I think if you can and and you know the the rub is always the CFO is like we can't afford to do all those programs and keep those people right. and bonus them and keep giving them raises okay, so let's t- talk about a different angle. Let's get creative in our right. deal making here, right? So right. and quick follow up because you said it. So yep. transition to next generation, trend question: Are you seeing companies? Um, transition to family members less now because I I'm starting to hear that a lot of owners are like ah my kids don't want it yeah. they don't want the business I'm going to go somewhere else I just, just want to um I, I don't I thing. can't
1: speak to whether it's happening less but I can speak to my experience in that which I have quite a bit in that range, um, I I think that um, the assumption general generally is that uh, this has been my I'm the business owner speaking I, this has been my life's work, I've this has been my life it's my passion, um. I'm so proud of this business. Um, I, I'm reluctant to depart with it through this transition, but at least I can have my family, kids, carry the reins. I thought you
2: were going to say, I don't want to give to these idiot kids of mine. You know, i got well, somebody else who can so, handle the business. Well, I mean, me,
1: that's, some, that, well, you're going to see all types. But in this scenario, they're making an assumption that it's, it's going to be just as much of a joy or success for the next generation as it was for them. And so they're really thinking about doing a favor for their children but sometimes the reverse is true. They may not have the skill sets. Yeah. They may not have the personality or the profile, mm-hmm. or they may not have the grit. Uh, not everybody's designed to be an entrepreneur. Right. Um, but also, they may not have the interest. They may have skill sets somewhere else. Yeah. And so it, it's hard enough to be a business owner, but it's harder if you don't have the passion. Right. And so a lot of t- that's why a lot of companies fail in their generational transition. So that has to be discovered.
2: You, show, you showed us, I think, some some information on the, on the every generation, the percentage of success of a company goes, I mean, dramatically. Right. I think you brought that to yeah. us, George. That that's was incredible. Right. Like, the third generation was like 2% of companies make it or something. I mean, yeah, it, right. it was something crazy. And really we have incredible. some in
1: the city that's four gener- fourth generation, and I've learned a lot from visiting with yeah. them. Yeah. But they're do- definitely doing something different, Sure, if yeah. that makes sense. Got to. But uh, So that's it. And, and also, uh, they may not be qualified. Um, you know, oh, another thing, too, is that the a lot of times – The reason the business owner is good at what he's doing by now is because he's failed for 30 years at it. That's right. That's a lot of experience of knowing what not to do. Right. And then getting on the right path. If, If it's handed to a younger individual that doesn't have the passion and they're prepared for the next 30 years of mistakes, perhaps, it may not be a good formula. Yeah, Yeah, you gotta
2: be bought in. in Bat three hundred and make the Hall of Fame.
1: There you go. (laughs) Right. So,
0: George, George, we got to wrap up. So, is there anything else that you um, that you want to wrap up with? Anything that you feel
1: like? I I just think the overshadowing uh, theme here is um, knowledge is power, right? And so, business owners, as everybody knows, especially listening, is goes by a lot of times by their gut. Mm -hmm. But the gut didn't just develop out of thin thin air. They didn't wake up and right. A lot of it's through their experiences, known or unknown, right? right? And that's knowledge. So um, I, I would say that the best asset a business owners can do is to harness that same spirit of go by your gut. But what if you could gain more knowledge to make those decisions? A lot of times business owners don't have the expertise other than what they're doing that's fantastic in the marketplace. They may have a craft or a niche, and they know that again from the history and what they're doing right. and their passion. But there's a lot of things that may help in this space that they're just not familiar with. And so what i would say is that what if they could team up with someone that would help put them in the driver's seat to make these decisions and that is a comforting feeling because if you're out there having to make decisions and you're not qualified but you still have to make them that creates a lot of anxiety so if you can partner with someone to gain that knowledge to put you in the driver's seat then to start making those decisions that you feel confident about maybe a range of possibilities for those out Yeah, I think, I think take think the emotions cool. out of it. You said that word. Take yeah. the, you know,
2: somebody that can look at your business objectively and you have a lot of emotion, passion, right. use that word. Take that out and say, you're allowed to have emotions about your, you know, your baby right. here, but let me help you and be right. more of an objective consultant sure. partner and, here. And you
1: may not get paid for it. You right. may not get paid for your
0: passion. Right. That's, that's yeah, for exactly. sure. We want to help you get paid.
2: That's right. Um, I love it. Great stuff, George. Yeah, man. Thanks, George. Um, Thank a huge you value
0: add. I know we talked about this at that event a couple weeks ago, and I felt like I needed to get this on the show, so I'm glad we were able to finally get you Yeah, you get, get to you keep your job more years years <laughs> later, man, like, <laughs> one more year. Six years later, man. One more year. You get to stay on the <laughs> um, so, so, again, as <laughs> always, guys, our, our, our audience is built for such a – really just f- for this community, but also the people that serve it, right? And privately held business owners are a big part of that. Um, mm-hmm. So the show is really kind of catered to those individuals. And, and like we always call to action, we would encourage if you or somebody you know needs to, or you you already heard this. So if you know somebody who needs to hear this, mm-hmm. we would encourage you to pay, pay it forward and put this in their hands.
2: Deep thinking, I uh, did. Yeah, just there you go. Exactly.
0: I'm, I'm, I'm a pretty sharp guy. <laughs> normally i would encourage you guys to reach out to george uh, directly but considering i'm in charge of sales for him i would tell you uh, um, reach out to me shameless um, plug yeah, yeah happy to plug you in to george <laughs> and get you connected with him if you have any questions uh, that's my job so i uh, would love it if you guys could do that and then at the same time uh always for zeke and myself if you have feedback for the show guests people that should need to come on please communicate to us reach out to us on LinkedIn and to get plugged in. And if it's your first time listening and you want to listen more regularly, go to economicalliancehoustonportregion.com for our uh, website and go to media and then you can subscribe right there.
2: I remember my first podcast.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yikes. All right, we'll see you guys next week. Thank you. Thank you, guys. Thanks for tuning in. Be sure to go to the Economic Alliance Houston Port Region website and subscribe to our channels. Let's pay it forward by sharing the good news of what's happening in our region by passing this episode to somebody you know.